The Linux Action Show is created by Jupiter Broadcasting. It's sponsored by Ting. Go to last.ting.com to save off your first device or plan and DigitalOcean. Go over to digitalocean.com and use our promo code LASTDIGITAL and then you can spin up your own Linux rig for free. Welcome to Linux Action Show, episode 368. My name is Chris. My name is Noah. Hey, Noah, good morning to you. Guess what? We got a big show today. Coming up on this week's episode of the Linux Action Show, Noah and his crew often get called out to automate a big event. You know, like a corporate party, uh, some big public event, maybe a wedding, something like that. And He calls up a crew and they go in and attack it like an organized machine and they automate the entire thing using Linux. That's right. Party mode for Linux. We'll go over that in this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. Plus, in the news, we're going to talk about the launch date for the Steam machines, the Steam Link, and the Steam controller. HP says they're going all in, at least in the Enterprise. We'll talk about what that actually means. A fascinating look at a Linux-powered laptop. And, of course, we've got some encryption news as well as some follow-up to that $9 computer that turns out maybe not $9. Plus, then we've got the feedback. we got some great feedback from our listener listeners. But, Noah, before all of that, you know what it is? It's the picks. It's our picks. And uh, this week, it's a hair-raising pick. A hair-raising pick, uh, depending on, you know, if you're walking down the street or maybe it's the subway or I don't know where you're at. But just, you know, you're kind of zoning out. Maybe you're looking at your phone. You're not totally aware of your surroundings. And then all of a sudden when the environment rapidly changes on you, it can be kind of startling. So uh, our our runs Linux this week would be one that would startle me. What is it, Noah? Tell me about it. So let's give a little backstory. The Raspberry Pi was originally invented for education, right? And if you ever talk to the arm guys, and believe me, I have, they do not put a lot of faith in the Raspberry Pi for production stuff. Hmm. They see it as a toy, as an educational tool, not something to be used in production. Now, when this uh, earlier this week, I was actually at a hotel. We're renovating a hotel, and so we're doing the network and the Wi-Fi, and I was looking at what the phone guys were doing, and they had attached a Raspberry Pi to the back of a computer to run their phone systems. Hmm. Now, that in itself, obviously, runs Linux. Right, exactly, because running the the entire phone system for the hotel. So when this runs Linux came in, I thought, now this is the second time in the week that we have seen a Raspberry Pi doing something big. It has to make the show. This Chris is is a Raspberry Pi that's running an advertising system inside of a train station. So as the train approaches, (laughs) it begins to play part of an ad right on this big tv so as the, as the wow. train comes in then the raspberry pi detects it and then it kicks <clears> off the ad now this is one of those things that somebody is paying these guys money to put their product up on this advertising oh, yeah. system oh, yeah. and they are trusting a 35 dollars computer to do that so i think that's production this is the second time in this week I, exactly i have seen the second time this week i've seen somebody do something big with the raspberry pi take a look at the video all right so there's <clears throat> so they have a they have a person oh and she's blinking which is kind of weird that's a little weird on its own. All right. So hold on. I want to watch this again because that, 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 uh, okay. So, so, okay. Okay. Oh, wow. Her hair blows by the train as the train drives by too, Noah. Okay. So mm-hmm. they're showing a Netgear router. They're showing plug in the Raspberry Pi, some cameras. Train comes in. Now that is, that is really <laughs> well done, actually. Isn't that cool? Okay. See, I thought it was going to be creepy and like make me a scar- startled, but just blowing her hair is actually an yeah. extremely cool effect. It's like she's really in that box. Yeah. Okay, now yeah. he's showing... Oh, we're going to see a little bit of the of the network in here. So it looks like it's a giant LCD screen and the Raspberry Pi is in the case. And now her hair is getting blown. Oh, that is so cool. And you like how the further the train comes along, the more her hair blows. And so like, as, you know, as it just enters the station, just a little bit blows. And then as it comes all the way through, then it kind of goes nuts. Oh, and then it blows her hair off. Yeah. Oh, yeah, and, then, and then you realize it's a uh, cancer ad. And everybody's sad now. 
But it caught everyone's attention. Because she was wearing a wig. And then it, it, dete- yeah. and then it gives them a, a number to text a donation to. That's pretty cool. Sweel, the yeah. Swedish Childhood Cancer Foundation. Huh. Wow, that's, that's a powerful use of a Raspberry Pi, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. And, and like I said, the more I see these things come into production, and, and you know, a couple of years ago, you guys did a, a Runs Linux on a Raspberry Pi that was used for uh, prosthetics, I think it was. Um, and so as these things come into production, I don't think you're going to be able to claim for a whole lot longer that um, the Raspberry Pi is just an educational tool. I think it's becoming yeah. a, a serious a serious tool for production. Yes, and thank you to uh, listener DV who sent that in to yes, the show. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, if you're interested in this kind of things, you can check out linuxgizmos.com. Every now and then we'll pull a runs Linux from linuxgizmos.com. Uh, these guys over there work tirelessly to sort of sp- f- uh, spotlight not just like super embedded devices, but uh, the whole range. Everything from the really crazy esoteric hardware like... <clears throat> The you know the indestructible case computers that can survive uh, a, a tornado and uh, a volcano, uh, to the uh, new uh, Intel processors and AMD processors available for Linux. So it's linuxgizmos.com, and uh, it's a pretty cool site. They cover a lot of neat stuff, and if you're into this kind of thing, or the Internet of Things, uh, <laughs> they have a lot of coverage of that. Linuxgizmos.com. Like check this one out. Private Linux cloud server costs eighty nine dollars. Streams media too. It's called The Breeze, a private file server on Kickstarter. Features four USB 3.0 parts, a gigabit Ethernet, has uh, uh, 256 AES encryption, and mobile support and media streaming. There you go, Noah. It's really cool, but it's one of those things where I would rather build the box myself so I know the longevity of it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, who knows yeah. how long that box is going to be around? Who knows yeah. what software runs on I follow. You know what I'm, my point is? They show you that kind of stuff over there. If you're curious, if you follow that kind of thing, Noah, give you an idea. Maybe, you know, inspire you. Noah, it could be inspiring. Hey, you know what else is inspiring? DigitalOcean. Go over to DigitalOcean.com right now and check out Simple Cloud Hosting, dedicated to offering the most intuitive and easy way for you to spin up your own Linux rig, or I guess a free BSD rig, if you wanted to. And Noah, did you hear that uh, they just recently announced a free, uh, I'm sorry, Fedora 22 support on uh, DigitalOcean? So you can rock out Fedora 22 on DigitalOcean if you'd like. And we have a special promo code. It's last digital, LAS digital. It's all lowercase. It's one word. You enter that in, you'll get a $10 credit. Last digital. Apply that to your DigitalOcean account. Now, I love DigitalOcean because they really are like back-end infrastructure for Jupyter Broadcasting now. Whenever we just need a Linux rig, we don't even – when I first moved into the studio, I planned to put a rack in. <clears throat> you know, can you think about that now, me? Because then I would have had to put cooling in there, a rack in there, UPS in there, and then I would have put a whole bunch of storage in there. And I was going to just build out a whole bunch of VMs and – Wow, I don't know what I was thinking. That would have been a monster. I would have been. I would have eventually just become a full time sysadmin again, and I wouldn't mm-hmm. be doing shows. So uh, mm-hmm. DigitalOcean was once I once I cl- clicked into that, it, it was a game changer. <clears throat> You'll get a system spun up in less than fifty five seconds. <clears throat> and pricing do- Pricing is like not a non-issue. So for the basic rig, where you'll get 512 megabytes of RAM, a 20 gigabyte SSD, and one CPU, and a terabyte of transfer, that's, that's the starting point, okay? I'm putting that in air quotes. That's the starting point. And a 20 gig SSD, a CPU, and a terabyte of transfer with Linux is going to be rocking. That's just $5 a month. $5. And if you use our promo code LASTDIGITAL, you get a $10 credit. And you'll get started in less than 55 seconds, so you're not going to waste a bunch of your time. So time is money. I know that's super critical for you, Noah, and that's one of the reasons you use yep. DigitalOcean. Well, I use DigitalOcean not only because time is money, but because at the price that DigitalOcean sells me a droplet for, I can make money off of that. So if you think about that, if you think about what you're bringing to to your audience, what you're offering to your audience now is they can go on, they can get credit 
that you're going to give them by using our promo code, they can get a, a, a droplet at a reduced or no uh, no cost, and then they can go and resell that, if if you're an IT company anyway, can resell that to a client for even more money and make money off yeah. of it. <clears throat> I Everyone also... Knows. I also, like, if I had a contract these days, I would just roll it on the cost of the contract, no problem. It's a great way when mm-hmm. I'm working on something on my rig. Think about it now with Docker. This is, this is really a great use for Docker. You build something on your local machine. Maybe you prefer Fedora and you have an Ubuntu droplet, or, you know, you have an Ubuntu machine, you have a Fedora droplet, or a CentOS droplet, or whatever. Like, you can mix and match with Docker, and it's not going to be an issue at all. You build the thing using Docker on your local system, and then you upload it up to a, a, a DigitalOcean droplet. Boom, 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 boom. You're ready to go. You're done. And if you, you can create a, you can create a rig in less than 55 seconds. So it's you can put it up in production on a public IP address. And with their awesome intuitive dashboard, you can totally get the DNS all set up. And you can use the snapshots to just build a machine from a template so you don't have to c- configure a rig an entire time. But you also don't have to have one running all the time. You can just use a snapshot. They even have hourly pricing available if you just need to bang on something for a few hours. They have a super straightforward API so you can programmatically do this. So you don't have to do it even, even though you can do it like under a minute. You could do the whole thing with uh, with just a little shell script or Perl script or whatever you want at, using their API and automate the entire process. It is it is seriously getting to the point now where it's automated Linux infrastructure on demand for an unbelievable price. And if you use the promo code Last Digital, you get a ten dollar credit. And by the way, check out go over to DigitalOcean.com and click on the community section. Go there and just look at some of their great uh, tutorials. They have like they have just some very valuable tutorials. Uh, uh, yeah. Maybe if you want to get started switching to FreeBSD, they've got a tutorial on that, or how to set up Node.js on Ubuntu 14.04 or, or Apache content caching on Ubuntu. That'd be really nice. Ruby on Rails. <clears throat> a lot of really set up SSH keys with a DigitalOcean droplet. That's a good one. That's a really good one. There's a lot of really good tutorials over there, and you can contribute too, and they're even hiring right now for Linux admins and content editors. So check out their We're Hiring page too and tell them we sent you because they want to hire. They'll specifically bump you ahead, I think, if you're in the Jupyter Broadcasting community because they want to hire from our pool because you guys are a bunch of smart folks. So use the promo code LASTDIGITAL when you check out or just apply it to your account. You can even do it after you've set up an account. That's a really sweet thing too is it just gives you a $10 credit at any point. Last Digital, and try out their $5 rig two months for free. DigitalOcean.com. Go try it. Noah, tell me about our desktop app pick this week. Uh, a little birdie tells me it might have something to do with the overall theme of our episode. Right. So uh, if, if, if after we get done with the desktop app pick, you are not satiated, have no fear. We're going to dive into it a lot deeper a little later on in the episode. But the desktop, uh, the desktop app pick this week is Qlight or Qlight Controller Plus. Now, that's a fork of the original Qlight Controller. And what Qlight Controller is, is a DMX controller software for Linux. So if you've ever been to a concert, if you've ever been to a live event, if you've ever been to um, you know some sort of a party where they have different color lights or when the band comes out on stage, the whole stage turns blue. And then when they get into the loud part of the song, all the lights go different colors. Uh, yeah. Or maybe a spotlight comes up and there's a motor and it, and it tracks all that stuff. Oots, all that oots, stuff oots, is oots, being done oots, with something, oots, a protocol oots. called DMX. Now that DMX protocol is has to be controlled, obviously, from a computer. So 10 years ago, we actually had physical sliders and you would slide, you'd, you'd move a slider up and that would you know, increase the value of the light and then you'd have another slider that did the x-axis and the y-axis and, and all these crazy things and as it got more and more elaborate we realized we needed to go to software solutions. Now I used to work for a production company. I did a short stint with them, and with their controller at that time, it was a computer, but it was a com- it was a it was a appliance based computer. So it had a screen, um, and but it was everything was proprietary. Mm. Nowadays, everything is being done on computers. So when we went to do this, uh, the guy that um, launched 
the the event stuff for my company said i want to do dmx lights and i'll go into that a little bit later in the episode i told him sure we can do it if you can find a way to make it run on linux <laughs> um and, and so uh we we found the software and it, it i'm not gonna lie it did take a little bit of playing with to get it working but the good news for anyone watching is uh, all the information that you're going to need to get this up and running if you want to do it's going to be in the show notes so you won't have to go through oh nice uh, the troubleshooting <clears throat> that what we kind of what uh, kind of basic hardware investment am i looking at about $35. The the DMX controller, which I'm going to show you later on in the episode, and I'm going to have a link in the okay, show notes. Not, not quite there yet. You're getting nervous, but it's going to be there by I the end of that. the episode. Yeah. Uh, it's about $35, and essentially what it does is it plugs into the USB. Again, I won't use something unless it's natively compatible with sure. Linux, so there's not going to be any compiling. There's not going to be uh, any adding. None of that. You plug the device in. It's going to work right No kernel drivers have to be built or anything like that, you mean? N- nothing like that. The okay. only exception is because there is this is somewhat of a niche uh, uh, area, right? There aren't a lot of people that are doing um, live uh, production stuff like this on Linux, and because of that, uh, the, the the software isn't necessarily terribly uh, well updated, so I think our box that is using this is actually on 1204 right now, and that's what we had to do mm. to get it to work, but it's still modern enough, and the reality is, you're going to be treating a computer that's doing your lights as an appliance. It's not sure. something that you know necessarily has to be bleeding edge. Does it even, it works at, well after you get it all set up, does it does it even need a connection to the internet necessarily? No. No, in fact, it's not. It's not connected to the internet. We never have it on the internet, mainly because I don't want the guy screwing around <laughs> on the computer that has to be controlling the lights of the room. Uh, but, um, but no, it doesn't need to be on the internet. Once it's installed, it's good to go. The only reason I even care that it gets updated is obviously eventually we'll have to replace the hardware. And when we replace the hardware, we'll want to use a newer version of the operating system. Yeah. And I'll want QLite to work with it's, that. You know, you and, I have not, you and I have talked about, boy, wouldn't it be great if we could donate to the, to the projects that we depend on for, for broadcasting, yeah. like, like OBS, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. like FFmpeg, like QLC. So it's called, it's, called, uh, it's called QLite Controller Plus or QLC Plus maybe in your package repo. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the projects like this would be that just could use a little bump. Uh, so check that out. That's a really cool pick, Noah. And uh, I uh, I like that. So you're telling me I can be like a Bose and uh, I could have like a really cool party all automated. I don't have to go buy like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of dollars of Hughes lights and control them with my smartphone. Right. I could that, just do it with exactly a Linux laptop. That's exactly what I'm telling you. That's exactly what I'm telling mm-hmm. you. You could buy you could buy six lights at, you know, th- I mean, you can buy an actual can, like a, a regular light. Those are like $10, $15. If yeah. you get the ones that we have, the LEDs, they're a little bit more. Yeah. Um, but you can mount those all up and then you can have different scenes on your computer. So Here's, you can say, I want all the lights in the room to turn on. All the- I'm sorry? Well, oh no, go ahead. I'm, I'm, I'm listening. Yeah, so you so essentially, so one of the things we did um, is we have a fog machine, and so the fog machine will, will fog up the room, and that is that is DMX controlled. So the nice thing is, anytime I have the fog on, I want all the lights to be blue because the blue kind of accentuates the fog, and it just makes it all just a little cooler. Um, and so we have it set up. Anytime you turn on the fog, all the lights in the room stop doing whatever it is they're doing because they have their own independent chase. They stop what they're doing, and they all turn blue and accentuate the fog. Then as soon as the fog is done uh, blowing, they all go back to doing what they're doing. Hmm. Um, and the nice thing about DMX is most of those individual lights can have their own individual chases. So, for example, we have light strips that go above the booth, and I can have those do their own thing. So chase uh, red to blue, chase right to, uh, right to left, that kind of thing. And do that while I'm setting something else up or changing a different part of the scene. 
fascinating. So, and QLight makes that all possible. Yeah. I like that, and uh, that's a, that's pretty. And it, it doesn't even require an Internet of Things at all. You can just do it right now nope. with your current Linux setup. Okay, let's switch gears to something uh, that could be extremely useful for those of you who want a nice, secure remote connection to some remote storage, or right. those of us who maybe have droplets that have uh, a twenty mm-hmm. gigabyte SSD. We want a nice stash of offsite storage. Is this something you use or fairly frequently? Have a Google Pixel. Yeah. So uh, with the Google Pixel, I had 64 gigabytes of onboard storage. Now, that's great if you're leaving Chrome OS installed and using Google Chrome OS. I, d- uh, in, I tried. I tried to use Google Chrome OS. It made it about 17 seconds before I wanted to throw it across the wall. Uh, and then I wiped it off, put a real operating system on it. Um, and so I have, you know, thumb drives have gotten a long way. Man, so you're going to get haterade for that. Chrome OS is fine. What? It just didn't meet Noah's needs. There you go. Continue on. Yeah. Right. Uh, yeah. Needs like, you know, yeah. being able to play a local video in the computer or um, store, uh, you know. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so uh, what I, so thumb drives have come a long way. And that was my solution for a little bit was to plug in a, um, a thumb drive and use the 128 gigs of flash sure, memory. Sure. Um, and that, that got me a really long way. But it's really super nice sometimes to, ju- you know, the way that Google makes it, uh, the Chrome OS, a usable operating system is they give you access to Google Drive. And the idea is that you store yeah. all of your stuff on yeah. uh, the Google Drive. And Microsoft has well, this with OneDrive. Apple has this with their uh, iCloud, which is handy for them, you know, computers. And so each major right. vendor seems to have some sort of almost right. like web dev that's wrapped up in some sort of front end solution. So I wanted to have something that was similar that would work inside of uh, uh, Linux. And so what I started using was SSHFS. And what that allows me to do, Fuse allows me to mount a, a remote SSH share as if it was a local drive. And that is super helpful if you're using something like the Pixel. So when I turn my Pixel on, 90% of the time I have Internet. If I don't have Internet, I'm just consciously aware that that drive is not going to work for me. Um, and I would turn on my Pixel, and then I would have access to my 24-terabyte uh, RAID array that sits at my house. And then I have tons of storage. Now, there, I did come and run into a couple of limitations. I found that I wasn't able to remotely do uh, video editing. I wasn't able to remotely play video. Uh, I wasn't even necessarily rem- remotely able to copy uh, video stuff over. Yeah. But I was able to edit documents. I was able to, uh, you know, the basic stuff. And when I say uh, edit video, I'm not talking about over the internet. I mean, like in my even over my land. And that's somewhat frustrating because I have used um, I have used uh, just mounting an, uh, an SSH share in the in, in Nautilus. Yeah. And uh, SS, uh, I think that's SFTP is is the, yep. is, the is that what it's called? Yeah. And and I've done that, and I have done video editing yeah. with that, and that worked. And fine. that's using the GNOME virtual Fuse. file system. So I mean, what you're doing right. here is you're using Fuse. Uh, Fuse mm-hmm. is a user space file system, which means you don't have to have uh, too much fancy stuff in the way. You can also do it on top right. of other operating systems as well with different things, like different. Like I think there's even a way to do it with Windows. Whoa! Apparently I'm. Apparently, I'm just going to disappear for a minute. I don't know what that's about. Sorry, guys. Uh, but so what Loa has linked us to is a uh, tutorial on DigitalOcean that essentially gets you set up on most systems. Now, bear in mind, you are going to need Fuse. So if you have the right. – if you so that's going to be your prerequisite. But I'll tell you what I like about using this. It's not going to be the fastest. Uh, so bear no. that in mind. Don't, don't expect to put this in over your gigabit LAN and uh, see amazing file transfers. Uh, it also may cause some CPU overhead. Keep that in mind, right? Because it's going to be encrypting those connections. So your computer's got to do maths the entire time you're doing a transfer. So be patient when you're doing an, S- an SSHFS. So don't expect it to be like the fastest file system to write to. But that's not a big deal, right? Not a big deal. Uh, so keep that in mind. And then the other thing I would, I would advise about SSH- SSHFS is perhaps look into a key setup and not a username and password-based setup. 
in my experience, that works yeah. a little bit better, and also it makes things a little more automated, makes it easier to mount the file system. Not only is it super easy to set up, but it's also just as secure as SSH. And the best part is it's one less service. You're not running HTTP on your box to do WebDAV or something like that. And you probably already are using SSH. And that's just a great article. There's lots of tutorials on there, including like the Arch Wiki and whatnot. Uh, but for Ubuntu and Debian derivatives, DigitalOcean has a great write-up on it. Noah, uh, I wanted to plug something before we move on any further because it's coming up really soon. So uh, two things are coming up next weekend, uh, two different events. First up is uh, Southeast Linux Fest. Noah's going to be there with a couple of the producers and other crew members at Southeast Linux Fest doing live stuff and all kinds of things. Uh, In fact, Noah, as we sit now one week before South, the plan is to be live over the weekend, right? Yeah, well, one way or the other, we're going to be streaming live from self. We'll be doing it on Linux. If I have to build a a, a, a completely different machine and, and 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 haul it back out there on horseback, somehow, one way or the other, I assure you, we will have a stream from self. We worked way too hard, way too long to not make that happen. I'm waiting on a couple of key pieces of equipment to come in, uh, and then everything will go as planned. But if not, I have uh, I have backup ideas. You're um, we're going to start streaming. Uh, yeah, and because I think there's not much going on in the stream over the weekend, we'll probably have that stream uh, live for you on Friday, right when we get set up, and we'll probably go right through the weekend, continuing right in and finishing up with last on Sunday. Yep. Live again from scale, one of my all-time favorite self. Linux fests because it's uh, sorry, so, yes, yeah, self, self, because it's highly uh, community focused and it's all about the people and the users and not so much the companies behind it. Yep. Great one to come and if you're there, come say hi to us. Yep. There's in the in the meetup, there's a number of people that have have reached out and said that they're going to come. Uh, I know that there is a um, a dinner, uh, some sort of an informal dinner. We're going to go out and grab pizza or something. Oh, you guys like that. should coordinate through the meetup. Night. You should do that. Meetup.com right, right. slash Jupiter Broadcasting. Well, it, wasn't me. it wasn't me. It was, it was somebody, else, yeah. somebody else in yeah. the community that yeah. was that was setting it up, but I got invited. So. Cool. Um, well, yeah, if, uh, if people want to share details. Also, going on that same weekend uh, in a uh, totally different place is uh, Learn About Open Tech going on in London. And uh, it's a meetup over there of uh, Corky and Popey and other Jupiter Broadcasting community members. So if you're in that area and want to meet up with the JB crew and learn more about open source technology, go to meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting and uh, sign up. And we'll have future meetups there as well. It's really cool to see you guys in person. Again, that's meetup.com slash Jupiter Broadcasting. But Noah, I think that's all the picks for this week. So let's do the news. Hey, it's the news, and this episode is brought to you by... Ting.com. Go to last.ting.com. Why would you go to last.ting.com? Not only do you support the Linux Action Show and keep us going, but you're going to get a $50 credit at least towards the end of this month. It's $50 credit off of your first device or off of your first service plan. So, your first service plan. What kind of service is Chris talking about? I'm talking about mobile that makes sense. That's what Ting is. Ting takes your minutes, your messages, your megabytes. They add them up. Whatever you've used, that's your payment. So you don't buy a whole bunch of prepaid minutes and prepaid megabytes and prepaid messages in case you use them because that's a scam. What you do instead is pay just for what you've actually used. It's a flat $6 a month for the line, and then you pay for what you used. Makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? You're going to like everything about Ting, too, because like if you want hotspot or tethering, you just check that on. If you want to use Ting as a mobile ISP, have at it. Or if you want to be like Noah and I and like totally make tons of Wi-Fi calls, Ting don't care. In fact, they'll give you instructions on how to do that. And the best part is if you ever get stuck, Ting has no whole customer service. You call them at 1-855-TING-FTW, and a real human being answers the phone. 
Now, Nola and I have sort of figured out a way to leverage Ting that I think is pretty clever, and I think you guys could do it too. We kind of treat Ting as sort of like our embedded wireless service. So when we need to give mobile data to something or mobile cellular to something, like an alarm system or a remote box, or I like like Noah's bat phone, that's really slick. And so what I've now done is I've picked up a new cell phone, and I've dedicated my Nexus 5 to testing alternative operating systems again, which is so great for the Nexus 5. Now, normally... I would be crazy to have like a 60 to $80 smartphone plan sitting around so that it once or twice a week I can go poke at a phone when an update comes out. I guess I could do it, but I'm just not really in a financially in a position where I could justify that, especially with a contract. So with Ting, since I'm only paying for when I use it and I can actually just completely turn the device off, using my Nexus 5 to try out Firefox OS and Sailfish OS and Ubuntu Touch is ideal. And, and, and actually, it's even more ideal because sometimes Ubuntu Touch doesn't work with the cellular. I'm just saying. So, like, I don't even need cellular when I'm trying that operating system. So I just turn it off. And it's really straightforward and simple to do that. In fact, one of the great things about Ting is they have their own Ting app. And guess what? I don't need to tell you about it because Kyra's here to tell you about the Ting app of the week, which turns out to be the Ting Ting app. Wait, what? The Ting app of the week is the Ting app? That's right. Kyra's here. She's going to tell us about it. The Ting app is the Ting app of the week. It's also meta. I'm Kyra, and this is the Ting app of the week. Go, girl! Bring it out, Kyra! At Ting, we pride ourselves on giving you the tools to take control of your cell phone bill. Practically anything you do in your Ting account dashboard on a computer can be done inside the Ting mobile app. The usage panel shows how many minutes, messages, and megabytes your account and all your devices have used. Tap a number to check out recent activity on that device. Tap again for detailed event info. Easily enable or disable device settings, like international calling, internet access, and picture messaging. Yeah, that's nice. You can view your current bill and detailed billing history. Oh, yeah. And set alerts and caps to keep things under control. You can also give us a call, access our help site, or submit a help request right through the app. You can also stay up to date on the latest Ting news by hitting the blog. You could even watch this episode of the App of the Week watch featuring this. the Ting app on the blog Whoa. within the Ting app. Whoa. Just be careful not to create a glitch in the matrix. No kidding. The Ting app is available on Android and iOS devices and is free. You'll find links to the Ting app below. Or just search Ting in the Google Play or the App All Store. All right. Thanks for watching. See you, Kyra. Go to last.ting.com, last.ting.com. And you'll get a $50 service credit if you have a Ting-compatible device. And you might, because they have a huge GSM network and a huge CDMA network where you can bring your business over. Uh, so you can check out their BYOD page. By the way, if you're in like one of those crappy uh, duopoly contracts, they have an early termination relief program to help you get out of that. Then you go get yourself an unlocked device on the Ting network, like a boss. You pay for what you use, like a boss. And you own your machine, like a boss. Last.ting. And a big thanks to Ting for sponsoring the Linux Freak and Action Show. You guys rock. All right, no, you ready to talk about some news up in this business or what? You ready to get all I, in? I oh. want to talk about Val. No, you don't, but you're going to do it anyways to I humor do. me because you're a nice guy. <laughs> I am. No, I, hey, listen, this is the part of Valve that I do want to talk about, Chris, and here's why. All because right, all right. Valve is going to launch a box that runs Linux. Uh, Valve is officially 
Valve has officially pinned down a release date for the Steam machine. The article says here that uh, may, may November 10th of 2015 forever be known as Steam Day. Yeah, buddy. The day that Valve will officially unleash its suite of Steam yeah, machines, buddy. Steam Link, Steam OS, and the Steam controller. Sure, it's almost exactly a year later than the anticipated date, but if you want one, now's your chance to get one. Unofficially, you can get a Steam controller as early as October 16th, provided that... Uh, you're in the market for Alienware's model. Pre-ordering through GameShop ensures that Euros will receive Alienware's Steam Machine, which was previously referred to as a console that encapsulates the full potential of what a Steam Machine should be. Hmm. Now, the original Steam, or the, the box that they're going to release uh, is going to come out, I think it's $450. Yeah, that's and gonna, that's going to get you... Yeah, that's about, by the way, built by Alienware. And one of the things to note in that right now is uh, it includes the Steam Controller with that, which original reports that we had on this show said it wouldn't include Steam Controller. I just wanted to make that correction right now because we said before it wouldn't, and I was wrong. Right. Um, so uh, the the four hundred fifty dollars box is going to get you a Core i three. It's going to get you NVIDIA uh, a GPU with two two gigs. It's going to get you four gigs of RAM, five hundred gig spinning disk, um, and the Steam controller. Now uh, they're going to release a higher. Yeah, I'm getting to the butt. They're going to release a higher end version for seven hundred fifty dollars that will get you an i seven eight gigs of RAM and a one terabyte drive. But the article uh, goes on to describe it says how are these specs? Well, competent. But then again, the same problem that we've discussed in the path to death passed to death, yeah. some of these smaller steam machines are proprietary parts, which means a lack of upgradability. That means that your steam machine will not have the same cycle as a true console. Consoles typically have a lifespan nowadays of about 10 years, and you're not going to be playing uh, steam games 10 years later on native hardware. You might be able to do it with streaming. But the reality is that because these are these are we noticed that these are about $150 cheaper than they were when they released them with Windows and one can speculate that that is because at least in large part due to the do Microsoft you licensing. Think, do you think I don't think I, I don't the article thinks that I don't think because I think that Microsoft would gladly eat 150 bucks yeah, just exactly. That's Windows exactly what I think. They would not only would Microsoft but, be willing to subsidize the cost, but I bet the I bet the cost for Windows is. I mean, I'm totally speculating, man. But it could be it could be no more, no more than five dollars for these OEMs. I don't. And Microsoft has gotten extremely competitive on that on that front because of Linux and Android. Uh, so right. November 10th so, is also quite a ways out. So it could be that they're expecting the hardware cost to be lower by then. Now, a couple of things that, that I notice is, so November 10th is obviously they're trying to hit that, uh, that Thanksgiving Holiday. Black Friday thing, I think, you know. And so, and that, that's good. What excites me is I would not purchase uh, a gaming console. I, I would not purchase an Xbox. I would not pur- purchase a PlayStation. I will be buying a Steam box when it launches. And the reason is because I would love to have a box that runs Linux in my living room. And based on what I'm seeing from Valve, I think that that box could be used for a couple other things. Yeah. And I do like Counter-Strike and Race the Sun. Yeah. And I, I do want to try out this controller because, uh, as has been said numerous times before, that this is going to enable people that traditionally like a keyboard and mouse, that would be me, to play a console, uh, a console game on a console without feeling or, like you're, you're one step behind. I don't think there's so anything we'll that would also prevent you from just hooking up a mouse and keyboard to a Steam machine. You could also probably just do that. Although I will, I'll point right. out, I'll point out sort of a uh, um, a disconnect here. I'm seeing. So earlier mm-hmm. I mentioned a machine that was preset up to be a media streaming box. And you're like, no, nah, I'd rather build my own. And now when it comes to a Steam yep. machine, you could sit, you could easily build your own, probably for less than four hundred fifty dollars, with maybe even better yeah. video graphics and maybe an i five processor mm-hmm. instead of an i three. Why one? Why not? Why are you not all? I'd build my own for this. 
because so for one is I don't have I, I, I have I have certain things that I'm good at and certain things that I'm not good at and one of the things that I'm not particularly well versed at would be uh gaming hardware i'm just i'm not into what a good graphics card is uh ah. what a good you know what a good motherboard stuff like that and ah. then the other thing is this has hmm. to be a small box that's i assume it's going to be a, a relatively smaller box that's relatively quiet that i can put that'll look decent on my on my mantle or on the on you know underneath the tv in the living room stuff like that i don't know that my expertise is going to allow me to really get a a, a really good build out of it and then couple with that hmm. i'm not going to support this effort to get Steam OS, which is essentially which is Linux, I'm not going to be supporting that effort to get that out to people, and I want to do that. Right, you want to vote so your wallet? You all those, yeah. Well, so that's that's a big part of it. And like I said, the other thing is I do, I'm not necessarily confident in my ability um, to 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 build a box that I'd be perfectly happy with. And it's kind of like when you take your car to the auto repair shop. You know, uh, you drop it off, and then they fix everything up. But yeah. if you had to get under there and yeah. clip a tube or cut a wire, then yeah. you would know Then yeah. you would know that that wire was clipped or that yeah. tube was routed that way and it would maybe bother you yeah i kind of yeah. like the idea that that the steam machine that i can treat it as a council and, and then i can also evaluate it on last as yeah. a council as yeah. i own an n64 i know what i expect from my n64 uh let's compare i mean that, that's a horrible comparison but let me see how that council experience compares with this quote so, unquote turn it on and play my game let me we'll uh, let me fork your thought right there so i would say uh in terms of potential for spousal factor approval to be high uh something that's a pre-built machine like this that looks kind of nice that's sort of uh designed with being in your living room in mind it's probably going to be has a better shot of getting a higher approval factor than something you build yourself so I, that's totally mm-hmm. something worth uh, acknowledging there also it's probably just a standard pci express slot in this machine so you probably could pretty easily replace the graphics card down the road if you need to bring the graphics up another generation something you couldn't do with the xbox or playstation uh so i i made the decision not to pre-order one yet i did pre-order the controller and i did pre-order the steam link because i'm going to try putting the steam link on a remote machine now my take on the Steam machines is in order for them to be truly valuable to me, they need to be more than just Steam boxes. They need to maybe have Plex or Kodi, Netflix. Mm-hmm. I would like to even see – I wouldn't use it necessarily, but I'd like to see like Amazon Video on there, uh, maybe uh, Hulu, other crap like that that people probably use. Just so that way it's a true media center. For me, it would be Kodi and Plex. And, and Netflix. It would really be all I need. And maybe it would be even nice if it could be a Blu-ray player. I mean, the damn thing's a PC. What, maybe right. I could have some Blu-ray codecs up in that business and I could put a Blu-ray player on there. I would like Although, that. Let's be, what? let's be honest. Do you actually have Blu-ray players in your house? I got. Well, I don't. I have. I have. I have media streamers, well, and then I rip my Blu-ray. So you know, I feel but, like the, I feel like the, the concept of optical discs. Yeah, but dead. can't the one and the PS4 both play Blu-rays? Like, if you're going to get a Blu-ray player today, mm-hmm. like here, here's why. I, here's why I even mention it is because like here's my logic, Noah. If I was going to add mm-hmm. a Blu-ray player to JB One's TV today, I might just mm-hmm. go get a PS4. Like, it's more money, mm-hmm. but I get a great Blu-ray player and a great game machine. If the Steam right. machine could make that same argument, and, and dude, I'd be willing to buy, I've got a USB Blu-ray player. So if I could just get, yeah. if I could just, if there was a way to add that pack or whatever, Blu-ray playback pack from the Steam store or whatever, yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I would, I, that, and I have. That I'm fine with, but to occupy a space inside of that for a Blu-ray drive just seems like a waste to me. Put a solid yeah. state in there. Put yeah. another 4 Yeah, no, I'm, the external there, will be fine. But don't put a so, Blu-ray drive So in. for right now, I just don't quite see the value for Infinity Bones is a lot for me at the moment. Uh, I, as it gets closer, I might change my mind, especially because I'd like to give it a full review uh, from a last standpoint. I'm definitely locked in on that controller, though. And since the link is 99 bucks, I threw that in there, too, just so I can get a good review of that. So there you go, though. November 10th. It may be the day that lives as Steam Day. We'll, ha- we'll have to find out the day the Steam machines arrived. 
So open source and HP always seem to be kind of bouncing around. Like, you know they're deep in some areas, and the consumer areas are all over the place. Well, now we're being told that in terms of the enterprise focus, HP is mm-hmm. going all in. It's the fabric of their company. Yeah. And that's at least according to their CTO. It's in the fabric of every thing we do. He was speaking at HP's Discover Conference in Las Vegas this week, and Martin Fink said that open source will be central to how HP's enterprise incarnation conducts its business. Now, remember, HP's been going through a lot of transformations recently, and they decided to refocus on the enterprise. He says, we've taken this very, very seriously. Two varies, you guys, and we are all in like dirty dogs on the notion of open source, Fink said. And that is a game-changing big bet. They say the machine, which we talked about like a year ago, Get this. It's going to be backed by open source software. We are, in the number one, we are the number one contributor to the OpenStack project, too, Fink said. We contribute large bodies of code to the Cloud Foundry project, and we are heavily involved with partners who lead in open source projects, like Hortonworks, for example. We are contributing heavily to making cloud and open source and making that real for you. What do you think, Noah? You have your head up in this sector of the biz? Yeah, so... Um uh, the the I th- I think that the the big thing is is HP is a lot more heavily invested in open source than they than they publicly admit. And I had a very interesting conversation uh, with someone about uh, about some really cool policy things that they had implemented um, that were promoting Linux uh, on the desktop and in open source internally at HP. Unfortunately, he would not go on camera and talk about it. Um, and so, based on that, I, do, I you know I. There's a limit to how much you know, I want to disclose about what he what he told me, but all I can tell you is that from the outside, I, I had a very different perception of of how much HP cared about yeah. about Linux than when I started talking to people that actually worked there, and I was very very pleasantly surprised. So this didn't come to me as a huge shock that as HP <clears throat> as as HP does this split that uh, they they look at the enterprise and they look at the at, at what's succeeding right now and they go well open source seems to be a a big part of that, and we're going to double down on that. And if you think about that, for a business to invest in this is a really good strategy because essentially they get they get the good PR that comes with investing in open source. They get the tech savvy community that seems to value open source, and they get a huge return on their investment because if they if they look at open source and so take for example uh, Gromit right, mm-hmm. and they take this interface if they allow other people to to contribute to that project and they allow other people to to provide input and improve it then they get to resell that to their customers and make a ton of money off of it mm-hmm. so i think it's it's a win-win situation and i think it's a great decision on hp's part and i think it's going to be really cool to see where this where this goes down the road now all that said do i have a little bit of skepticism i mean essentially i feel like uh, they when they use words like uh, to prove it we're 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 going to point to this single yeah. project that we're talking about. Like, I feel like the dynamic of what he's comparing it to, yes, great. You have a single project that is open source mm-hmm. that, that you're pointing to, but it's not like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know how many to read into I'm going to take it with I'm, a grain of salt. Here's, here's what I'm to take from this. Uh, because from the outside, it looks like HP has sort of drug their feet in some areas of the market to get into Linux. In other areas, they are key players that are uh, invaluable. So it's, it's, it is funny how you can get this weird perception about HP because if you didn't follow the code necessarily, it really looked like they're just kind of people that, all right, we'll do this Linux thing on this device. Uh, but that's not yeah. really the case. Uh, but I'll tell you, I think what happens is you have the guys like the CTO here who are a little disconnected from the actual code that's getting written. Mm-hmm. 
So he thinks about it in grand stories and strategies and life-changing right. fabrics of the world, right? It's in the fabric yeah. of everything we do, open source. Well, that sure sounds really mm-hmm. good, and I'm glad the CTO is saying those things. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think what he's really saying is there's a whole, people, a whole bunch of people below me that contribute real code to real projects and make open source happen. And it becomes the fabric of everything we do because we're paying a lot of people to do it is really what he's yeah. saying from that. That's a good thing for the CTO to be saying. It's just it comes across in a right. sort of disconnected, floaty kind of message in my opinion. Right, right. But I like yeah, it. That was, that was good. Yeah. I like that there yeah, has there. And I like it, it. There's, there's no bad way to take that, right? Right, and then and you combine it with our next story. So uh, this is more of a topic we've been batting around for a few weeks on Linux Unplugged, and I think it's kind of newsworthy talking about HP. Let's shift gears and talk about Dell for a moment. Dell has this right. uh, 14-inch laptop, this Inspiron uh, f- uh, 14 3000. Or it's got some great Dell name like that, something real catchy. And uh, it, it is the thing that's remarkable about it is it's a 14-inch uh, Linux laptop for like $250 U.S. bones. Right. Uh, that's that's right. you can't you can't really shake a stick at that. It's basically a Chromebook, but it comes preloaded with Ubuntu. And uh, yep. we've been wondering how good is like a two fifty to three hundred dollar pre built Ubuntu notebook. And there are some downsides. You know, it has a thirteen thir- uh, thirteen sixty six by seven sixty eight screen, which isn't awesome. Mm-hmm. But uh, Noah, we found or you found really the StarryHope.com teardown. It's just like literally a teardown. Like the guy who opened it up, Super went through piece by in-depth. piece. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he starts out and he talks about uh, the computer retails for three hundred uh, for three hundred dollars, two hundred ninety nine. He got his for two hundred and fifty, and um, he talks that uh, he talks about how while well, you get what you would expect, you get a thirteen sixty six screen, you mm-hmm. get a um, you get a uh, a Celeron. I think he got he paid a little extra to get the upgrade to the Pentium N thirty five forty. It comes and he also paid to upgrade from two gigs to four gigs of RAM, <clears throat> and he says the only real complaint he had about it was a five hundred gig. 5,400 RPM spinning hard drive. Now, yeah. one of the things that stands out... Yeah, I know. But he says, one, it's very, very easy to swap it out. It's a matter of taking that back cover off and pulling four screws out. And you can swap it for an SSD. And if you think about it, the cost of upgrading to an SSD, right there, that adds almost $100 to the computer. Maybe yeah. a little less if you go with one of the cheaper ones. Or but, maybe you might already have one. Yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, right, right, right. But, I mean, you got to compare apples to apples. Yeah. Um, I have used a, uh, a Chromebook. In fact, I've used a number of different Chrome devices that have uh, the two gigs of RAM and the Celeron processor. And I have to tell you, my experience for day-to-day stuff, checking email, watching YouTube videos, playing stuff in VLC, mm-hmm. opening the terminal, I wouldn't have known that I was on a, a crippled computer. The only thing I didn't like about it was the fact that they nerfed those BIOSes so that if you lose, it, it has, you have to push the control L to, to boot. And if you want, unless you want to take the set screw out and, and rewrite, flash the BIOS and then put the <laughs> The screw back in and all that other all that nonsense you don't have to do that with this this is going to come out of the box with ubuntu now one thing that stood out to me in this article that i really thought was cool was when you buy um the uh, the big silver computers they have the fruit on them they when you turn them on they have that that little video that plays and it like it says hello in all the languages and then spins around and has goofy stuff yeah but it's kind of like a welcome to your computer we don't have anything oots, like that oots, on, oots, on linux oots, you just get to a, the mac your name i think it just yeah, says hello right, right. a whole bunch is actually all it does really yeah. right a whole lot exciting. of hello. yeah so um, they have a video now, and and um, and he actually includes uh, a link to that video on the website. Yeah, there it is. And so and he says that this is probably made with, in conjunction with Canonical and Dell. Yeah, Dell made and, this. Yeah, I think. Right, and so that's kind of exciting that that they have. T- so Dell is doing more than just hey, let's load Ubuntu on this thing and ship it for three hundred bucks. They've taken at least a little bit of time to tweak the. It's a slightly different version of Ubuntu. 
and they have tweaked a couple things. If you notice the screenshot in the software updater, they have they have tattooed that with with Dell's logo. So um, yeah, they have, yeah, it's been it's more than just a passing effort tattooed on Dell's it. part. <laughs> yeah. well, well, I don't know what the the, the yeah it's branded. I guess you could say it's sort of branded. Yeah. Right. I uh, when we do uh, when we do uh, contract work and we swap motherboards out, we have to quote unquote tattoo the motherboard, and that's what puts the little Dell logo on the screen mm-hmm. when you when you start it up. So that's that's what I've that's what I've come to call it. But the uh, but they so so I guess what's encouraging to me is that I believe that you can get a relatively good user experience out of this machine for two hundred dollars. I think for or three sorry three hundred dollars. I think for doing basic things, if you're checking your email, if you're watching YouTube videos, if you're browsing Facebook, I think if you're doing those things, I think it's going to work really well. And I think it's a great alternative to a Chromebook because unlike a Chromebook, I can actually store local video. I can actually store pictures. I could even edit pictures if I wanted to. Um, I can use it off the internet. And I think that is super compelling. And I think it takes what's best about a Chromebook, which is the cost effectiveness and the reliability and the lack of malware and spamware. And I think it combines it with the best of the PC market, which is I have local storage um, and, and I can do a bunch of tasks locally and I can use it actually Boom. as a computer, not as just a cloud-connected device. And speaking of a cloud-connected device, if you have one of those and you don't want to use SSHFS, how about this story? Now, this one just popped up in yeah. this week and I don't know exactly how you pronounce it. I'm going to say Tresor? Tresor. Tresor. Yeah. It, is, uh, it is an encrypted collaborative shared storage space, end-to-end encryption. So it's it's done on the client side. The uh, the storage mechanism, the cloud storage mechanism, has uh, no access to it. Uh, they are based out of Switzerland, so they follow the uh, Swiss privacy laws. And the, their pitch line is: it works with your most sensitive documents without a second thought. Keep control, even with your shared coworkers, clients, or vendors. And uh, they say easy, risk-free collaboration. No, what jumped out at you about this, other than the fact that yeah, they got a Linux client. Yeah, so that so the thing is is you and I talk constantly about things that we could use to replace Google Docs. Now, obviously, in an ideal world, it would be an open source solution that we host ourselves and that uh, that obviously supports encryption and works natively on Linux. Um, I think that we're going to get to that point eventually, but it's encouraging to know that if you are a business and you don't mind throwing down some money to get a service like this, you can get mm. end-to-end encryption, a client that works natively on Linux, uh, that respects your privacy, and they're not mulling through your data to, 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 to find what they can market up. Now, the prices start, uh, it's $25 per user hey. per month for the business, or it's free for 14 days for a single user, and then $12.50 a month after that uh, if you're just using it for yourself. They released the, the what's what's newsworthy about it is obviously that they've released a beta client for Linux, so you get the actual native Linux client that you can install and then use these uh, these cloud services and collaborative services, all like you said, end to end encrypted um, with proven security. I like they that. actually they offer fifty thousand dollars if you can if you can break their encryption. Yeah, I can, like when uh, I like, into it. it makes me feel a little better. They have an active bug bounty, which means hopefully people are encouraged to uh, bang on it a little bit. Uh, and I'm liking that it seems to be uh, it seems to work pretty well across o- operating systems too. So it seems like it'd be worth playing with. I wonder how it'd work across Windows and Linux and things like that. Pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. So Fourteen day free trial if you want to try. It. Link up in that business, and if you've tried it out there, let us know how it goes. We're always looking. We always got our eye on the things to replace the Google Docs with. All right. So uh, Noah, there is an update on this nine dollar computer, which turns out might actually be twenty dollars. I've heard people yeah. talking about this. Now, we're talking about Chip, which was a Kickstarter project uh, for a $9 Linux computer, a single-board computer with 512 megabytes of RAM, 48 gigabytes of flash, had Wi-Fi for only $9. The Raspberry Pi Foundation was like, what? It turns out it might be more like $20. Yeah. 
So yeah, this is super. It's a, a very, a very end of that of this blog post. And I mean, we should take this with. We should start up with this disclaimer. Uh, this information is coming to us from a blog, so uh, you you know, take that for what it's worth. However, uh, it doesn't seem to be very. I looked at it a little bit on the rest of the internets, and it doesn't seem like it's very well disputed. It seems like everyone pretty much uh, agrees on this, that uh, they advertise this computer for $9. Unfortunately, after everything was said and done, the cost of the components were higher than they had anticipated. The, uh, and I don't know exactly... You have to forgive my technical technical ignorance. I'm not sure exactly what an, uh, what an R8 SOC is, but uh, it's actually going to end up being $4.80, I believe. Um, that's the... I believe that's a processor, right? The, yeah, it's a system on the chip, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so, uh, so unfortunately, end, end cost is it, the end. End cost is instead of being a dollar, uh, it's going to be four dollars, which means that the end price, selling price, is not going to be any more competitive than the Raspberry Pi, which already has a ton of traction, yeah. which already has a ton of things that support it. So then, that makes me ask the inevitable question: Why this? I guess so. I'm, I'm following. What I'm following is uh, it costs a little more, but they're raising funds for a larger project. Uh, it's something that we'll try to keep a closer eye on. These things are always the risk with these Kickstarters, so it's good to just kind of follow up on these just so we know the risk when we are doing a crowdfunding kind of thing because uh, sometimes we can get excited just because they say Linux and the hardware. You've got to follow up. Uh, and so if you know the story, go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, and there will be a feedback thread for episode 368 of the Linux Action Show and share your thoughts on the story. And there are anything from the news, we'd love to hear your feedback, linuxactionshow.reddit.com. But Noah, that's all the news for this week. You already know that Linux is the life of the party, but did you know he can automate the entire party too? Well, Noah does, and he's going to show you how he did it. But first, I want to tell you about our segment sponsor, System76 Creators, Originators, the parents of machines born to run Linux. I've got one, two, three System76 machines in studio right now. That's all all run in production. We've been banging on that Meerkat. Everything we can think of, we've been throwing at it, and it's still a $4.99 champion. A tiny little rig, too. Go to System76.com and find a system that'll work with Linux so that way you don't have to fight with the hardware. You just get to use Linux. No more weird problems when you reload. No more issues when you switch distros. And when you run Ubuntu, they're going to support that installation for life, and they'll give you updated drivers, and they make sure that system's going to work perfectly. Go over to System76.com, too. They've also got a special limited-time $50 off one of their laptops. Just tell them the Linux Action Show sent you. System76.com. Thanks, System76. Now, Noah, tell me about... What we're about to see, because my understanding is it's one, another one of these day in the life style videos of Noah, and yeah. Noah's life is very complicated. Yeah, yeah. So some of you will love this, and some of you will not love it. Uh, but uh, so when I, I uh, as most of you know, AltaSpeed, the company that, that my day job, uh, we do commercial IT support. Now, uh, one of the guys that worked for me <clears throat> came to me and he said, "Hey, I got a question for you. Um, I know a friend. He's at a fraternity, and they're looking to have somebody come do." Uh, sound and video at their or sound uh, and lights at their party. Now I know that you guys we install uh, PA systems. Would you ever rent one out? And I said, <laughs> well, we haven't really done that before. And he yeah. goes, well, I tell you what. He goes, I looked up the prices. I think we could make money about this. Now I'm all about making money, especially when <laughs> I don't have to do any work. So he goes, I tell you what. You give me uh, a couple grand to invest in some equipment, and we'll buy this equipment, and then we can go rent it out, and we'll make the money back in a couple of weeks. And he was right. Not only was he right, it today is the most profitable aspect of all really? speed. So really? even though the majority of our work comes from doing IT stuff and the majority of our time is spent on IT stuff, the profit margin is highest in our events division. And so essentially what we do, we do weddings, we do fraternity parties, we do sorority parties. 
we do birthday celebrations, and what we'll do is we'll bring out <clears throat> big speakers, big subs, lots of lights, uh, <laughs> fog if you want it, and uh, <laughs> yeah, we'll, I want it. we'll put a party out for you. Right and on. of course, uh, my my requirement for everything when they said, hey, you know what, we ha- we bought a light controller, and it was kind of working, kind of didn't work, and he goes, can we go to a software-based one? I said, sure, as long as that <clears> software <throat> works on GNU slash Linux, then you can go to a software-based That's one. right. So they looked, and they, they found, and it, we had to go, we tried, I think, five or six different DMX interfaces before we found one that actually worked with Linux, and this, no matter what you read on the internet, the only real way to find out is to order it and try it. I'm going to save you that trouble because that a link to one is going to be in the show notes, and you can just go there and order it, and it will just work right out of the box. Nice. The software you're using is QLite uh, Controller Plus and, of course, Mix. And Mix is doing the audio, and QLite Controller is doing the light. Now, you'll have to excuse parts of the video. I When I went to do the IT one, I had called uh, the places beforehand, and I said, I want to film for a podcast. Would you mind if I came and did this job? And I had everything planned out. The problem with the event was this was actually someone's wedding. So there was no – there was no with the, with the when I was recording on the other one, it was like, oh, well, I'm going to do this access point. I want to redo that. I'll just take another 20 minutes and redo that. There was no redoing it this time. I grabbed my phone, the GoPro, whatever happened to be handed. And I tried to do the best I could to capture it. But at the end of the day, my responsibility was to make sure that this lovely couple who got married, congratulations to Daniel and Abby, uh, that they were not totally <laughs> thrown under the bus for the purpose of filming a podcast. Um, right. So the video is a little shaky at times. And there were sometimes I suffered from VVS or vertical vi- video syndrome. But I think you'll get the point. I, I love it, Noah. It's worth it uh, to get the on location, on the hands-on video of real Linux in the real world. So here we go without further ado. So we are on our way over to the hotel to do this wedding, and I am uh, really worried about our time situation. It is, uh, it's 10.30 in the morning. It, we usually like to set up the night before, and as it turns out, it fa- I found out uh, we couldn't get in the night before. So now we got to try and rush to do it this morning, and uh, this is the earliest that we can, uh, we can get in there and get started. Um, so basically... I found out last night that I we also have to do the production at the church, which we weren't originally told about. So uh, we are stretched thin, and I don't have anyone currently that understands DMX. So I'm hoping when my guys show up to do load in for the audio stuff and the light setup for um, for the reception, I'm hoping that they can I can teach them quickly how to set up DMX equipment, and that they can do the rest of that. Otherwise, I don't know. Otherwise, we're screwed, I think. I don't know how we're going to do this. I've got two and a half hours to load up all the equipment, unload it at, at, the, at, the, at the location, and then configure something like 16 DMX devices, not to mention <coughs> set up the computer with the DMX controller, which... Any other time I would be worried about, except it's running Linux. So, the good chance is uh, I'll just pull it out of the box and it will work just like it did when I put it back in there. I'll show you what I'm dealing with. Basically, we work with the hotels that we do events at the most often to store all of our equipment. But if I back up and you can kind of see, um, I've got all this crap that has to get moved and then our equipment is way back there. So first I've got to dig it out, then I've got to move it, then I've got to set it up, and... Alright, things could definitely be... Things could definitely be better, but things could definitely be worse. So it's coming together a little faster than I had anticipated. 
And uh, that's the good news. Bad news is, turns out we don't know where the DJ laptop is. <laughs> Which uh, seems to be important when, when you're DJ. Um, so I'm running back to the shop right now as fast as I can to see if it's there. And I have a pretty good suspicion it probably is. Um, a lot of times the guys will grab stuff out of the rack and take it back to the shop and update it. Download the you know uh, top ten, uh, top twenty lists, and uh, I'm wondering if if one of the guy one of the weekday guys didn't do that. So hopefully it's there. Uh, if it isn't, I don't know what the backup plan is. <laughs> uh, I guess for the second time today, the backup plan is just we're screwed. So you have you have lights, yep. and the lights have an address. So an address can be a number, uh, 1 to 250-something. Uh, 254, I think, is the highest usable. Okay? So you have 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, so on. If I send a value of 0 to 255 to a particular address, that corresponds to a given intensity. So I might send, um, turn the strobes on at full intensity. So 255 to address number two or three or four and then that particular light comes on yeah. okay so basically what we're gonna have we're gonna have lights put around the room and then the computer is going to send those commands out so what we have to do is we have to address each one of those lights we have to set the address on them but it'll be one two well yes except for every like, so there are three lights inside of that little round one. There's a red light, a blue light, and a green light. Okay. And I can turn each in, all three of those lights on at different intensities, and then, of course, I can make any color, right? Yeah. So the address scheme is something like 1, 2, 3 is assigned to that one, 4, 5, 6 is assigned to that one, 7, 8, 9 is assigned to that one. Does that make sense? Yeah. Have I lost you? Okay. Uh, so, so, the, so the strobe has, I think, like two or three addresses. It's, it's, uh, it's intensity and... On or off, I think it's just two. But uh, so we have to look up. I think they're saved in the computer, and I'll show you how to look up what, like, how many addresses there are. But then we'll have to go through and program those. All right, so let's take a look at the DMX uh, light controller. So this is what the software looks like, uh, Q-Light Controller Plus. Um, and essentially, we have uh, hot buttons. So if I hit F, it does fog. If I do uh, uh, any of the uh, like R does red, B does blue. Um, and those are essentially hotkeyed to these buttons. And then um, those send out over this controller that then send uh, DMX signals out to all of our lights, which the guys went to grab. So I just got the first one connected. So over here, <coughs> we've got, um, these, are the, these are the cans. So these have three channels. They have uh, red, green, and blue. And of course, from that, I can make basically any color. So that DMX cable, and by the way, biggest mistake my new guys make, this, it's not an XLR cable. This is a DMX cable. This is an XLR cable. And yes, there's a difference. The connectors look identical. In fact, one will fit into the other, but the, the actual cable is different. And you don't use an XLR cable uh, for a DMX cable lest you have a light show that you didn't plan for. So as you can see, when I hit the, the R key, it toggles the red wash, and then that turns on the red light. Um, so I can do a red-blue chase. Uh, let's see. We don't have a red-blue chase. 
one of my favorite ones. So you can do cop colors. Um, and I can do that just by hotkeys. We just got the audio system uh, worked up. So the, one of the things that uh, I always thought has never gotten full proper attention is mix. So this is mix, as you've probably seen. What you probably haven't seen before is it's connected to an actual controller board. So if I hit play, then it actually starts. It lights up my play button. I have my slider where I can choose my uh, which, which deck I'm working off of, and then I've got my volume sliders. So if I move those up and I slide over, Now what I can do is I can choose my next song and that loads into this deck. Now if I hit play on this deck, now both of them are going, I can use my center slider to go just works better with an actual console. So I have my song selected here, so I can use this, I can use this dial. I can go down and select, so I want to select Jason Mraz, and then I can just hit load into player, and then hit play, and then drag my slider over. Way, way easier than I can kill this deck. Way, way, way easier than trying to click around, move a mouse around you much faster. So now we've got basically everything set up. So let's uh, let's do a let's do a test. Um, so let's get some music rolling, and then let's do so we can do different chases. So let's do a color chase. So I'll show you what that looks like. So the color chase basically sets the the color strips to kind of chase each other. So one color will come in and then it kind of goes around. Now we can do a color chase around the room. I'll show you what that looks like. So now, what happens is the colors will go, it'll start at that can in the corner, I don't know if you can see it, yeah, so you can see the pillar, and then it kind of chases around the room. Hey David, can we move this can over a little bit so they're a little more evenly spaced? And then, and this, everyone really hates this, I have the strobes. Watch, watch, they'll get mad. So it's hotkey to S, so every time I hit the S button. Is that helping? Good, good. So. I told you, I, uh, I got told last minute that we had to do production at the church. Um, we weren't previously told about that. So I get here, and what do they have? What, what, what is that? What, what is that? What, what is that? That's a Mac. <laughs> so I promptly relieve, relieve them of their Mac and um, put it in my Ubuntu laptop. 
and we'll uh, we'll use that because uh, not producing on a Mac today. No. All right. So we get a couple minutes before the uh, before the. Uh, guests get here for the wedding. So we're all set up now. So the wedding colors are um, purple and green. So what we've done is we've just washed the walls. So effectively we've just washed the walls with purple. Uh, which kind of looks, kind of gives it a cool effect. It gives like this pillar looking effect. It's kind of cool. Um, so Back to QMix. Now, this machine is running 1404. This machine, no, I'm sorry, this machine is running. Okay, this machine is running 1404. This machine is running 1204. That's 1204. No, it's 1404. I don't know. Some version of Ubuntu. Um, so, what I can do is I can hit the space bar with the music. And now that I have that set, I can do the color chases. And what will happen is. the color will change with the music. So then it goes with the tempo of the music, which is kind of cool. Nice dancing. Nice. Uh, they were a little drunk by then. Wow, dude. Did you have to include the dancing? <laughs> like, I wanted to show. I wanted to kind of. The lights look good, open. man. The lights look good. I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah. Don't pay attention to the dancing. Pay attention. Like you said, they were. They're pretty. This is probably midnight or so. So they were four hours into drinking by then. And Linux kept on rocking, huh? Yeah. yeah. But you notice the lights are changing to the Yeah. Beat. Yeah, it looks good. Yeah. Huh. Very good, sir. Very good. So I, I assume it was all a big success. Yeah, the, 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 the people that paid the bill were happy about it, which I guess is, is ultimately how you judge success, right? But what I like about it is that I think that there are a lot of people out there that when they go to do an event or when they go to do something like this, they look... Uh, they look at things and go, well, how do I do this? And then they'll Google it and they'll find out, well, you have to buy a Mac or you have to buy uh, DMAC control for Windows. And the reality is the tools are there to do it on Linux. You just have to, you just have hmm. to find them. Mm -hmm. You just have to, you have to be able to play with it a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, the, the controller, the DJ, or the, uh, excuse me, the DMX interface, 38 bucks off of Amazon. Not an expensive piece of hardware, but the cost was a couple hundred dollars of interfaces we bought and tried and used and realized that they didn't work before we actually got to the point where we could say, well, we'll use this $38 controller yeah. and everything will work fine. Yeah. So uh, my question to you is, uh, when are we going to get this set up in the studio? Because uh, this sounds like it'd be pretty cool to have in the studio. Chris, if you think you have problems right now with your audio and video chat, you don't even want to begin to troubleshoot DMX. Yeah. DMX, everything is, is, it's a, is a gigantic daisy chain. So everything is connected to everything else. Oh. So when one thing screwed up, they all screw up. So it's like and Christmas also, lights? They're not... They're not smart, yeah, kind of, and they're not smart devices either. So if you if you set like one to channel two and the next one to channel four, and they overlap one, then the red light of one is going to turn on when you expect the green light from the other one to turn on, and it just 
believe me, you don't want the headache. <laughs> I have, I, if you notice, I have other people that, uh, that, that are there that, that help me do that. Usually we have a guy and his only function in life, the only thing I pay him for is to set all this stuff up. And he, he channels all the DMX stuff. Unfortunately, nice. he wasn't able to be there uh, that weekend. So I was kind of yeah. on my own doing it, but it's, it's a major pain. <laughs> and so then some of the older equipment has dip switches to yeah. set the channels. So it's binary. So if you want channel 15, then you have to add, you know, eight and four and, so you don't lose anything doing under Linux, happen. though. You don't lose any functionality. No, no. And the reality is, and so, so one thing I did learn, and this is really important. So, not this event, but the event before this, we were doing. A, I think it was a fraternity party, and they wanted fog. So, if fog is a big deal because we have to contact the fire department and we have to have <laughs> them come disable the fire system. Well, the fire department got sick of when we were testing this to keep coming out. So that eventually, the fire marshal just said, "Here's how you disable the system. You enter in this code. You do this. You do that." All right, all right, no problem. I got it. So we were done testing the fog machine. So I said, well, I'm just not going to use it. So I just I didn't bother to disable the, the fire detection. But because, like I said, it's all in one chain, I have to have the fog machine physically powered up to get any of the rest of the lights to work. So I turn on the computer and I'm monkeying. I make some changes. I go to restart the computer. Unbeknownst to me, apparently, channel one goes to 255 anytime the computer resp- restarts, which meant that the fog machine just goes and starts dumping fog out in this room which is now connected back to the fire system so i go running down and shut the fire department fire alarm system off and it was a big mess but uh <laughs> don't do that all right so you don't want dmx that's what i'm trying to tell you but noah's going to save you all a bunch of time if you want to uh, mix around with or mess around with this mix around with it i get it it doesn't take too much investment and you probably have half the software you already need the rest is all open source and we'll have more information in the show notes there you go that's party mode linux right here on the linux action show and that brings us to the end of this week's broadcast but no we do have some feedback to get to and our first one comes from julio and he writes in hi chris and no longtime listener and fan some time ago i heard a fellow geek talk about how a torrent was initially created for file sync and i'm wondering if this can be used for my needs i do have photography as a hobby and i'm again trying to introduce linux in my daily process i have a windows pc running an unofficial version of windows photoshop lightroom etc i am looking into moving everything over to an ubuntu laptop running ubuntu 1404 and would like to sync my picture layer between my windows box and my linux box i thought i could use a torrent client for this my question is is that possible also is it safe? I would like to be able to sync the files while on the road. Also, using something like OwnCloud to host my files might be a good idea. I do shoot in raw formats, and my previous tests didn't go so well. I know it sounds like overkill, but I need both copies synced while I find the best replacement for Photoshop and Lightroom to suit my needs. Thanks, and keep up the great show. BitTorrent Sync is what you're thinking of. You could use BitTorrent Sync. Probably not what you want to use, though. Um... I would I would look at something like either OwnCloud, like you suggested. The mm-hmm. new versions of OwnCloud are pretty mm-hmm. great. And then you get an online gallery and file sync across all your machines, which is pretty great. Uh, the other nice thing about OwnCloud is then you'll have a web version you could go get. Uh, now, the difficult thing is, is uh, I'm guessing maybe based on your terminology, Julio, you might not be totally up to snuff on that. So you might want to read some tutorials first on that. Also, Noah, have you played much with C-File? Yeah, I've I've looked at C file and and I've I've looked at uh, whatever they call it now. It's not sync thing. Then it went away from sync thing. Now it's back to sync thing, right? Um, but honestly, what I would suggest for him is is own cloud. And uh, you won't get in browser uh, file preview because of the fact that you're shooting raw. But um, what you will get is I have done I have done raw video files and I have sunk them across own cloud. And at first, I will admit in version seven it was problematic. I haven't had that problem come back to bite me yet. So. 
I might give that a. Sh- uh, I might mm-hmm. give own cloud would be my uh, would yep. be my first choice. Yeah. If only because the client is so stinking easy to get up and running. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, it's in the repo, and you just type in the server address, your username, and your password, and boom, all your files start and, coming down. And the and the truth is, is like in the case of uh, DigitalOcean, the cost of the droplet is like as much as the cost of the storages for some of these services. So you get your own yeah. private system if you do it on Droplet. Right. I think C file is another pretty solid alternative. Um, you are going to have to experiment with it yourself because neither of us have a lot of experience with it. And then I would throw SyncThing in there also. I think SyncThing is probably going to be too complicated for you, but it's worth taking a look at. All right, you want to take Mike S.'s email? Yeah, Mike S. writes in, and he says uh, he's talking about upgrading Linux. He says, amazing shows several times. Last has provided answers and how-to questions I was facing the day before. It was like magic, man. Love that, love that. I have been using Linux on and off for the past year, but hesitate to go all in. I just can't trust it quite yet. I want to make sure that it's my main OS. However, I need to figure out how to do many things that are sort of automatic when using OS X. One of the one area of Linux I can't seem to figure out is how to safely upgrade to a new release. There is conflicting information everywhere. People and distros seem to handle upgrades uh, in their own. That's kind of weird. Uh, some say using a separate home partition makes things a little easier. Some say a separate home partition is a no-no and makes things a little more difficult. Distribution help docs usually say to select uh, from their GUI or use a special upgrade buttons. Yet many people on their forums have horror stories and suggest never doing things this way. Mint, for instance, says that the Ubuntu method is dangerous, yet many people are using the Mint, Mint GUI, say it doesn't work, and they've lost their system. This type of help is paralyzing to a new user like me. Suggesting to do a backup first? Yeah, I get that. But there is damn little instruction on how to restore from a backup and integrate that into a new system. Beyond the common foreign conflicting uh, directions for upgrading to a new release, after spending so much time getting Linux to work according to my needs, if there isn't a built-in way to upgrade without blowing all the work out of the water, I'm not sure I even want to use Linux. Um, so here's the thing. So a couple things come to mind. First of all, uh, I can't stress the backup thing. I would never, ever, ever try to upgrade from one distro to another without having backed up my data first because uh, the problem, the the the, uh, the potential for problems do exist. Um, mm. Which way you should go about it? I, I have never really had a problem with just using the, the built-in Ubuntu when it pops up and says the new version is available. Would you like to upgrade? I've upgraded. I think I've done that. Uh, everything's uh, from 10.04 on. Granted, I haven't, I haven't like gone like 10.04, 11, 12, uh, 13, 14. I haven't done that. But I've gone from 10 to 12, and I've taken 12 boxes to 14, um, and I've never had an issue. Um, as far as whether to create a separate home directory or not, I know a lot of people uh, advocate for that. Personally, I find that my home directory uh, collects a lot of junk. And so I'm actually <laughs> thankful for the yeah. times when I can blow all that away and get rid of all that stuff. So, for example, a lot of crap that you don't even realize, if you install a program, even if you don't use it anymore, a lot of times it'll have a hidden folder that has the configs and, and resource files and stuff like that. That's just stuff I don't really need. Also, my download folder is a, is a garbage collection place for things I've used once or twice. And if it's my thought is, if it's in the download folder, I can probably get access to it again. Therefore, I don't really care of anything that's in the down, download folder. And the way that the home directory is kind of structured with a place for pictures, documents, and that, I have all those things 
in uh, either on a thumb drive or in my own cloud instance. Right. Um, so I don't really use that home directory structure. So I'm not a big proponent of having a separate uh, partition for a home directory. But I guess if you if that is your primary place where you store documents, it is kind of nice that Firefox will just automatically have all your bookmarks, your Thunderbird profile. Yeah, I'll, you know, I'll tell you the scenario that I find a separate home partition to be pretty useful is if I'm frequently frequently reloading the same distributions and generally installing the same packages after I reload. So that's what the great that's a great way to use an LTS for me. I would do this a lot when I was experimenting with different setups on my laptop as sort of a test bench, which is sort of the best rig I had at the time. And what I could do is I could really muck up the Ubuntu 14.04 installation. Of course, back then it was an older version, but you get the point. And yeah. I could reload the main OS, not touch the home partition, reinstall all the apps, and it's basically you pick up right where you left off. Where it gets you is if there's something that's misconfigured in there or if you install a newer version of an application right. than the previous version and it, it bonks because the config doesn't quite match up anymore. It was expecting a different syntax or something like that. So there's pros and cons to it, I'd say. All right. And the other thing is I use it as a, I use it as a check uh, check. Uh, I use it as a, an ability to check myself to see if I'm still using those programs. So, for example, hmm. if I if I open up Fire, if I if I have uh, let's say I had Jitsi installed, and because Jitsi pisses Chris off, we don't use Jitsi anymore. The next time I go to reinstall, I don't bother. I, I like having to force myself having to reinstall those programs and kind of reconfigure them because it keeps it fresh in my mind. How did I set that up? And second of all, which programs am I no longer using? If I have to, if they're all just kind of there, if I just go and install everything I had before. Then it's not. I'm not. I'm not forced to reevaluate if I'm still using those applications. So I kind of use it that way. Word, word. All right. Joe writes in with our last email of the day. He says, "Living on a Linux USB pen drive." Hi, Noah and Chris. My name is Joe. I've been following the show for a good couple of years now, two to three years. He says our show is the main source of information for him through the weeks, and it gets him through most boring Mondays. He switched to Linux. Uh, he said, "I switched to Linux since the pre-installed OS that was not working for me." Hmm. And I've gladly found that everything I do on the PC is doable under Linux. Hence, I don't have a need for the "Who must not be named" OS that you know what I'm talking about. I'm about to start my PhD on chemistry, and every computing tool I've used is available from the repositories. That's awesome. This has been a great awakening since all the university teachers are Windows tools, and in general, but it's not an absolute rule. But here's his main question for us. Today, the only PC he has is a laptop from work, and as such, he's not allowed to install a Linux partition on the hard drive. Uh, and he doesn't want to carry around two laptops either. So uh, since I still have some time until I get my new and my own laptop and return this work one, I was thinking of getting a Linux installation on a USB drive I c- and then keep it as a PC, which would be a great... Uh, and then later he could use it on his new PC, so he could kind of move it from his work machine to his new machine. I don't really know if this is possible or trivial, but if you guys could give some pointers to any tools that I could use to create a bootable Linux installation on a USB stick, please let me know either in the feedback segment or the picks. I always love the picks. My distro of choice is Arch, but I guess any distro would do the job if the results... All right. Thanks for the show. I always enjoy them. Keep up the awesome work, Joe. No, anything jumped to mind for you? Yeah, very much so. So um, I've tried using Linux on an actual USB stick, and it works. It doesn't work very well. The problem is they just weren't built to accommodate the amount of of simultaneous reading and writing that, that occurs when you're actually using an operating system. So it works fine for, say, installing the operating system, but actually getting a really super usable experience tends to not really happen. What I found that works really well is picking up one of these uh, My SSDs or the, the little uh, My SSDs to go. It's it's a tiny little MSATA SSD. They cost about $100. Um, I actually found a great deal. Sam's Club had them on sale for like 40 bucks. I, I think I telegrammed you uh, a couple months ago and I said, hey, yeah. check this out. Um, so, and they're USB 3.0 and I have found that if you install a Linux distro to that, um, it, it is 
almost indistinguishable from running it off the laptop itself. Granted, it is a little bigger because it's, a, it's you know, it's about that big. It's MSATA size. Um, so it is going to be something that's going to hang off the side of your computer. But I actually have a Linux distro or a Linux installation that I carry around with me on one of those uh, SSDs. And if I ever get to a client where they have, you know, Windows and I need to check something and it's just taking forever because the computer is so mucked up, I just restart and plug my little drive in and mm. boot into my own installation. Yeah. And uh, then I keep some of my privacy and it also enables me to use Linux. And, and like I said, it's actually super fast. That I, uh, I have a couple suggestions. One's coming from Dan and SD. He says, uh, don't bother with a full installation. Just create a VirtualBox image, save that to the virtual or to the thumb drive, and then install VirtualBox on, on each machine and run it there. That's certainly a possibility. Of course, there's also uh, the article in the Arch Wiki that walks you through installing Arch Linux itself to a USB key. That's a, a definitely a way to go. And then, of course, there's distributions like Puppy Linux, which uh, are work really well, like run from RAM and those kinds of things, which would really give you the performance. You'd, so you sort of negate some of the uh, penalty you might get by accessing your disk over the USB bus by loading the core essential operating system into RAM using Puppy Linux. So we've got a lot of really good options for you there. And, and if you're probably the most straightforward one long term would be just installing Arch on a Linux or just installing Arch on a USB key. That'd be a good one. No, the Jupiter Broadcasting Network is currently in the process of trying to raise a little more funds through our Patreon page so we can get through our next phase of growth, like bringing in staff or sending me out to events like Self. This, this year, we can't quite afford to do it because we, we stretched ourselves for Linux Fest Northwest, and Self came so close that we couldn't quite close the gap. But in our effort to raise funds, I decided it'd sort of be a fun, uh, uh, unofficial milestone that if we reached 530 patrons over at patreon.com slash today, that's the Patreon page we're using to fund all of the shows on the network, not just Tech Talk Today, but Tech Talk Today is our way of saying thank you. We're at 513 right now. If we get to 530, Noah, I want to fly out to your place. I'm going to invade your house. I'm going to put on your Google Glass, and we're going to get a last Cribs tour of your automated house powered by Linux. Now, yeah. now, if I get my timing right, powered by powered by powered by devices, powered right. by uh, boxes, boxes, right? Yeah. Don't get don't get don't get down in the nuance with me. All right, all right. The okay, big all picture right, is I'm going to Grand Forks. We're going to do a lass on location. Maybe I can talk right. no into doing it from a boat. Just saying. P- yeah, pick no. You, no talking needed, my friend. If you come to Grand Forks, we will do the picks or heck, the entire episode on a boat. All right. So, but we have to get to 530 patrons over Patreon.com/today. Uh, that funding helps us invest in future shows we have. Uh, I think you guys are going to be very excited about uh, event coverage and things like that that uh, we're really struggling to get to without bringing in a lot more sponsors. We're trying to we're trying to walk that sweet spot of sponsorships and crowdfunding, and uh, we have a lot of really great ideas in the works. That we need your help. Patreon.com/today. Also, you might not know this but i have a new twitter account a new twitter account with the same name yeah couldn't have made that more confusing could i we set up <laughs> jupiter signal we took my old account we made that jupiter signal because i was mostly only using it for work business uh and so then i have a personal account now chris alias they have to refollow uh that's going to be me who knows i, I i'm kind of waiting probably be talking actually what if i made it like a linux comment like a live weekly linux like during the week linux commentary you think i could stick with that I don't know. Yeah. I could try I it for a week awesome. and see what people think. I'd follow you. Twitter.com slash Chris Hellyas. You can follow that guy at uh, Twitter.com slash Colonel Linux. Also, check out his day business over at Altaspeed.com, where I will be traveling to see if we get to 530 patrons. Yeah. It's an expensive way we're, just to travel. Yeah, yeah, it is. Especially because, especially be- yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, he gets to try. But it'll be worth it because, like I said, we can go to the lake. Not that is worth it. Not that I didn't just come from a lake uh, a few hours ago, but a different right. lake. Right. And all lakes are great. This will be a better lake. I'll tell you why this will be a better lake. It'll be a better lake because you're going on a boat named Dev Slash Hull. <laughs> Can't beat that. Name of my boat. Can't beat that. 
I was on a party barge earlier, and that was pretty yeah. cool. But it was not called Dev Slash Hole. That's pretty. That's pretty geeky. All right, everybody. Well, yeah. thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of the Linux Action Show. If you'd like to contribute news, app picks, story suggestions, or comments, corrections, insights on anything we've covered in this show, like feedback and stuff, go to linuxactionshow.reddit.com, or you can click the contact link and send us in an email like our emailers did today. You just choose Linux Action Show from the dropdown. And don't forget the Linux Action Show is live over at jblive.tv on Sundays. You can go to jupiterbroadcasting.com slash calendar to get that converted to your local time. Okay? We'll see you right back here next week. Hello, YouTube. You know what a really freaking irritating thing is nowadays? What's that? Is no. the fact that YouTube continues to play. So I open up my tab. Oh, and it resumes that ass? No. I open up my tab, which I had the video open for, the one that you're playing, and I notice I'm on a totally different video. Oh, okay. So I hit the back button. Lots well, of different video yet again. Hit the back button again. That's a different. Like five videos later, like it just continues to play random videos. Oh, that what? new no? autoplay feature? I hate yes. that. I hate that. You can turn it off. There's a little. There's a little. Oh, I shouldn't have to uh, under the settings. Here we go. Autoplay off. I don't want. To, not, why is that on by default? What what an irritating thing. If I open up a video in my browser, I would like the videos that I want to watch play. I know. That's sniff. the idea of YouTube. Home sniff. Listen. Here's the thing. Uh, I got one question for you, uh, Noah, and I think you know that better than anybody. But what does YouTube want you to do? What does YouTube want That's... you to do? Exactly. YouTube <laughs> wants to make money off them autoplays. That's the hard truth yeah. of it. You know what we ought to do? I got an idea. We pull video. Let me guess. Yeah, okay. We pull video, and okay. then we make it like a Patreon. Well, milestone to bring video back. And in the meantime, we just do audio <laughs> and save so much time and money that it never matters if we never make that milestone. Hi there. I'm going to do a Hello. show now. I would like you to watch. I think I have some in my teeth. You I'm like watching. my curtains? Yep. They're nice and red. They're a lot redder than mine. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>